Thank you for joining me. I'm your host, Jason Coleman, and you are listening to Things That Make You Go Hmm Book Review Podcast. And welcome to another episode of Things That Make You Go Hmm, book review podcast. I am your one-man book club, Jason Coleman. Thank you so much for joining me again for another episode. So today's episode, I think, is going to be particularly personal to me, and I'll explain why in a second. The name of the book is The Cult of Smart, How Our Broken Education System Perpetuates Social Injustice by Frederick Dobuer. Forgive me if I did not pronounce the name of the author correctly. Um, Of course, the reason why this book is so personal to me is because I have been working as a public educator for pretty much my entire adult life, I would say. Um, I got in, I've been teaching for about 20 years now. Uh, I got into teaching right after I finished teacher college um, when I was in my 20s, early 20s. And I've been doing it uh, ever since. I've worked, you know, um, I, people who've been listening to my podcast for a while know that I, I reference my job quite often because I, I think that education is one of those fields where everybody is going, just about everybody is going to experience it in one way or another uh, throughout the course of their life. And in some ways, probably in a lot of ways, actually, education shapes who we are um, psychologically, cognitively. And so it's almost, it's impossible not to have strong feelings about education one way or another. As a matter of fact, a little bit of a side note. I was joking around with my wife uh, and I was saying that it's interesting because education is one of those fields where for some reason, even if people have never been in the field, um, they've never really trained to do any of it, they've never worked in the field, for some reason, they everybody still feels like they should be giving advice on what the best way to go about educating somebody should be. It's, it's really weird. I mean, like, I would never tell my auto mechanic how to go about fixing my car. I would, you know, my wife is a physician. I would never tell her how to go about treating a patient. But I've met lots and lots of people when I tell them that I'm a public school teacher where they feel empowered to tell me like you know how I could improve my teaching even if they don't actually have any experience with the field it's it's really bizarre but again I, I really think that that's mostly just because since everybody has been through school in one in one way or another and probably 90 I don't know 95 to 99 percent of people have probably been through education in a traditional sense um you know, we, we just have very strong feelings about it. And I'm hoping that <laughs> that this podcast doesn't actually get me into any trouble because the author's point is, I would say, pretty controversial. Um, and I'm, I'm already hesitating. I mostly agree with the author, honestly, with what he's saying. And I would not say this when I'm at work or I would not say this in the company of most others who work in the profession just because I don't I don't want the blowback um, honestly speaking and what the author well okay one more quick side story and then we'll move on I promise I remember when I was in graduate school and I wrote this paper that my colleagues 
really got very angry about and I was criticized and I I just don't really feel like we ever had much of an academic debate. Um, and my, the paper that I wrote was about why we should end compulsory education. Now, <laughs> probably me even saying this is already starting to you know make people feel a bit uncomfortable, but the whole idea behind compulsory education is that um, minors are legally required, you know, whether they want to or not, they are legally required to attend school five days a week, upwards of six, seven, eight hours a day. They have no choice in this. They must do it. And I, I'm of the belief that whenever you force people to do something they don't necessarily want to do, you're going to run into problems. And I've worked in some schools where the behavior of the classroom environment, for a lot of reasons, I'm not blaming anybody specifically, was so difficult and so, you know, unbelievably challenging that most of the day was just spent on trying to get everybody's attention, you know, stop arguments, making sure everybody was there on time. Um, I mean, it was it was very, very challenging, very, very stressful for me. And I thought to myself, you know, the vast majority of the behavior problems that I was encountering was only perpetrated by maybe two or three students. And I just thought to myself, you know, if we didn't force these kids to be in this environment, then I just feel like we could move so much further, so much faster with education. And, uh, you know, I, of course, you know, I, I tried to give data. I tried to give some research. I was saying that charter schools have been doing this for decades where, you know, they they can selectively pick which students that they want, and it just creates different learning environments. So, um, anyway, my professor who graded the paper, he, he, he wrote on the paper, said, he said, Jason, I think, you, I think you have some strong ideas here, and I think that on some level, I agree, but I would not go out in public. <laughs> I would not make this your first paper you go out in public with. And and I agreed, and I, I really, to be perfectly honest with you, up until this podcast, I really don't even talk about that essay that I wrote very much anymore. If I get any requests, if you want, I'll, I'll, I'll send you my essay if you want to read it. But but let's circle back to, to the book here. And what the author's argument here is that it's not really about compulsory education. What his argument is is that we have to... We have to accept the fact that there's going to be genetic differences in students' intellectual abilities. And that is just, I mean, if you work in education, I mean, you might as well say, let's just burn every school to the ground. I mean, that's that's about on par with, with what you're saying. And honestly speaking, like, as soon as you get away from education environments, if you just talk to most people and you say, do you really believe that all kids are just born with the same intelligence levels? No, but I, I mean, honestly speaking, I don't know anybody who would honestly say something like that. But when it comes to education, you cannot in any way, shape, or form insinuate that certain kids just have genetic advantages uh, intellectually. And uh, there's overwhelming research to support this notion. Um, and the author talks about this. He says very often for kids who are, you know, very gifted, talented academically, normally the their academic behavior it manifests itself at an early age 
and it will continue to um, to to grow and flourish throughout their educational careers. And it's very rare, very rare. And I've been teaching a long time, 20 years. It's very rare I've seen a student who was academically very advanced for their age, you know, in one grade level. And a few grade levels later, they just, you know, they sank below or the, the material became too difficult for them or they lost interest in school or something like that. It almost never happens. I mean, once a kid has shown some academic promise at a young age, it, it almost always uh, circulates through through the rest of their their education careers. So, is the question then? So that it so it kind of begs the question of, well, okay, if that's the case, then are you saying that we should allow certain kids to go to school and certain kids to not go to school? Because I mean, let's face it, not everybody's going to be academically talented. And this is where the author, I don't think, is going to be heard. And, and I, this is really the most important part, I think, he was a point he was making. is and He was saying he is the best advocate for kids who do not do well academically. Okay? He says that what we need to do is we need to figure out a way of educating students that can cater to what talents that they may have. Okay, certain kids might be better with hands-on materials. Certain kids might have very high emotional intelligence. I know I'm, I'm kind of getting into, uh, you know, Howard Gardner and the seven intelligences here. Or actually, I think it was up to nine. I, I, it's been a while. I've been out of education classes for a while. Um, but, but seriously, like, we, we don't do this. We, we try to shoehorn all students into college in this one-size-fits-all method that we know doesn't work and we know is probably not conducive to future, the, the way that the economy is going to be structured in the future, and we just can't stop doing it. Um, it reminds me of that TED Talk that uh, the guy did, Kenneth something or other, and he was saying that the reason why teachers can't stop giving homework, even though that there's research suggesting that it's not effective you know, most of the time and it can actually cause a lot of problems for kids at home, they can't stop doing it because it's part of the DNA. It's the way that the teachers were raised. It's the way that they were educated. Of course, they're going to keep doing it the same way. I mean, I, I cannot tell you, being an educator, how many different trainings, how many different new, how many new programs, how many different ideas are constant. I mean, I've never. The, the, my running joke with people is, when it comes to education, I've never seen, I've never seen an institution that was so radically transforming itself so often and yet hardly changing at all. I mean, it's incredible. So, you know, this is what the author is saying is that because we are trying to shoehorn all kids into the college, you know, pathway, we're really doing them a disservice. And it, I think it's really insulting for some, for some to say to some kids like, oh, well, if you're not doing well academically, then you're just lazy. And I think the book by Carol Dweck, which uh, I believe I did a podcast about, um, and this is a book I've had problems with for a long time, maybe because it's so widely accepted in education circles. Even at my own school, we did a program where, you know, we put up, you know, posters inspired by Carol Dweck. And Carol Dweck, her book, Mindset, talks about how 
we give too much importance, pretty much the opposite. We give too much importance to the idea of genetic uh, abilities when in reality it's it's your mindset that will determine how successful you're going to be in life. Whether you quote unquote believe that you can be successful is a much stronger uh, determining factor. And I think that is just so terrible for kids who are struggling academically because they're going to get this idea in their heads that they're just lazy, not that, you know, for some reason their brains are just having a very difficult time comprehending this particular learning model that was created decades and decades ago that has not evolved one iota for, you know, to be relevant to modern culture, okay, or to the modern society that the students live in, and it's their fault, and they should somehow brute force their way into academic abilities. And the author says that, you know, one of the, it it kind of, it's a situation where you take certain students who've been at one, and you say, okay, well, maybe if the students were just going to a better school, that surely would improve their, their academic performance. But they said that there's been there's been tons of evidence to show that even when you take students who are struggling at one school um, that might have that might be a low achieving school and then you put them in a school that has, you know, much higher test marks and other things that they don't generally improve all that much. Okay, I think that is one of the strongest uh, indicators that, yes, some kids for whatever reason, they just seem to have stronger academic abilities. And so that's why when they asked the author, they said, well, what do you think is, you know, should you do to make sure that you have kids who are successful, uh, educationally speaking? And this is what the author says. I mean, if you want to be honest, um, have parents, number one, who are successful academically. Number two, raise a child in a in an affluent or at least middle class to upper middle class situation where they don't necessarily have the trauma of having to, the psychological trauma, which probably affects them cognitively. Um, where you don't have to worry about food, clothing, shelter, or, or any of those things. Um, put them, you know, give them a lot of enrichment outside of school, taking them to museums, reading them books, um, you know, uh, exposing them to challenging conversations, uh, encouraging creative thought and all these things. And, and again, <laughs> so, so here's the thing, and this is the reason why th- this really struck a nerve with me, because the, the problem is, is that we... None of these things which I've just mentioned are really under the jurisdiction of of schools or teachers in particular. But teachers, for some strange reason, are always taking the heaviest fire when it comes to students not being successful. Okay, and I, I know this firsthand. I've been dealing with this my entire career, that when a kid uh, is not successful academically, we don't say that the institution is the problem. We say that some particular individuals, usually teachers, have somehow failed this student. And, and it reminds me of the joke that the author, the author tells this, um, he retells this famous joke, I guess, and I think it is so poignant in telling an education. And the joke goes that there was a um, man who had been uh, at a bar all night drinking, and when he, was, when he left, he realized that he had um, dropped his keys. And so he spent the next few hours under one spotlight walking around for hours looking for his keys underneath one spotlight. And a police officer is on patrol and he comes up to the man. He says, what are you doing? He says, oh, hi, officer. Sorry, I, I dropped my keys um, somewhere back there and, and now I'm looking for him. And the officer says, well, if you if you dropped your keys back there, why are you standing under this? Why are you standing over here and looking for your keys? And the guy says, oh, well, yeah, I know. I realize I dropped my keys back there, but but this is where the light is. 
And the joke being that when we can't control the things, when we feel like we can't control the things that are important, hence where the keys are, we tend to put all of our attention into things that are just easy to get to, hence where the light is. And so I think that's why we are constantly, you know, in education, we're constantly coming up with new programs, new charter schools, new mantras, new philosophies, new training modules, (laughs) Uh, because teachers are what we can control. And so, you know, we spend a lot, a lot of time um, trying to change things that don't that haven't really been proven to to show much difference in, in a child's education. Uh, but we are so optimistic that I don't know through through somehow some new creative marketing <laughs> marketed product that we can achieve all these like really crazy improvements and and results. And not only that, but we say, okay, th- this is where it gets really bizarre. I think we say that we want to improve the workforce that's coming into education. We want a more talented workforce, but we don't really do very much to make the the profession attractive. We rarely give teachers, um, you know, raises, rarely, uh, certainly not enough to keep up with the cost of living. We continuously increase the amount of education that's needed for a teacher to do their job. And we are becoming more and more aggressive with teachers um, affecting student, you know, with what kind of performance we want to see out of students. I find this astounding, okay, that for some bizarre reason, we think that teachers, even though we have no control over how much effort that students put into their their yearly uh, academic uh, standardized tests, for some reason, we're held, the teachers are held accountable for this. I don't, I don't get it. I mean, if a student, the, 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 the tests have no bearing on the student's academics. If the student just decides they're not interested in the test and they just blow it off, which is, I've seen this happen dozens and dozens of times, um, for some reason, the teacher has somehow failed the kid in this situation. It is the pinnacle of insanity. But again, it's where the light is. So that is what we can control. And so that's what we try to control. Um. And just to circle back here, the last point that I want to make is, you know, <laughs> it becomes pretty it becomes pretty clear to me when I was younger. It became clear to me that I loved playing basketball. Now, I am not very tall. I'm only about five foot eight, maybe. OK, and I loved playing basketball growing up. I'm from Los Angeles, so it's kind of like a basketball mecca of the world in, in many ways. And I just realized when I was in you know, middle school, that's where boys especially start to hit some serious growth spurts. Um, Once everybody started becoming a lot bigger, taller, and faster than me, I just had, it wasn't, it wasn't that I couldn't play basketball to, with some proficiency. And yes, it's not that there aren't some basketball players who are small and who've been successful. Okay. But they are so far and few between. I just felt like I had to exert so much more effort than everybody else did. And there's just no way that 
99% of people are going to feel like it's some sort of equal playing field at that point. Yes, there are, there's genetic differences in athletics. Everybody, I don't know anybody who doesn't know or, or support that, okay? And if we agree on that, I don't understand why we can't agree that some kids are going to have genetic advantages when it comes to education. We all know this. I, deep down inside, we all know this, okay? But we don't seem to want to make any adjustments in education for students who struggle with a very traditional academic path. And I'm not, I'm not even necessarily talking about the majority of kids here. The majority of students, I believe, are doing fine academically, okay? I know that when you compare students to America to other countries, I, I hear about all these crises about how the, all these other countries are destroying the United States and it's going to have these really horrible ramifications for our country or something. I just think that's garbage, okay? Do you know how difficult it is to get into some of the elite universities in America? We are never going to have a shortage in our country of people who are very talented academically and who can, you know, go into those fields that require that. But I've heard that we don't even need that many academic people for our society to function. That only you only need about 10% of people to do very high-powered brain work, that 90% of our society is mostly in the service sector. And I hear that much of that is probably going to be outsourced by AI and other sort of automation going forward into the future. So we're going to have to make some hard choices. And I, I'm sorry if I'm kind of venting here a little bit, but I just feel like educators have been the whipping boys for society's failures uh, to, to help these kids who, you know, are we are not preparing for a modern day society. We're not even starting to move them in that direction. All right, let, let me give you my last story. And I, I may have told this story before in another podcast. I'm not sure because it was really, it really affected me. And he, this is the story. Um, every year our school um, takes students on a week-long um, trip to a science camp. And because we have so many students um, in our grade level, who go, we always ask for some chaperones from the high school to, to help with the, the, um, the management of the students. And so we normally get about, you know, 15 to 20 high school kids who come and, and help chaperone the, the experience. And it's always a lot of fun. You know, we, we always enjoy it. Um, and, I, I, and most of the students, um, the high school kids, they've went to our, our middle school before, so I've, I get the chance to talk to them. Most of them have been my former students. And, and I ask them, I, I ask them, like, what their opinions are of college. And all of it's the most bizarre cognitive dissonance I've ever seen. They they say, yeah, I'm really skeptical. I don't know if this is going to lead to a job. I mean, the situation is really difficult for for younger people. It just seems like there's so much competition. You don't know what fields are going to be in demand. And then I say, well, would you consider maybe doing an alternate path rather than going to college? And unequivocally, they're all like, no, absolutely. I'm going to college. I think that's necessary. I'll figure out after I get out of college uh, what career moves I have to make after that. So, so even when you know, even when these kids know that college is going to be a very, very difficult pathway to finding meaningful employment, um, even they can't stop themselves from from planning that into their future. I just, it, it is absolutely, you know, just mind-boggling. I don't get it. And even if you don't necessarily agree with um, DeBoer's argument here in The Cult of Smart, I really believe that you owe it to yourself to give it a listen and really ask yourself, like, okay, if we're going to start to transform our education system to meet the needs of the 21st century 
is getting tough with teachers and blaming struggling students, is that really the pathway going forward that we want to take? Because that's exactly what we're doing now. All right, I'm going to go ahead and wrap up my podcast now. Again, this one was a little bit personal for me. Um, I think that's why I was a little more emotional than I normally am with these things. But uh, again, if you if you want to if you want something that is not necessarily going to gain a lot of public attention, it's not very highly accepted. But I I think the truth is just so glaring. Then you know you owe it to yourself to give it a read. And that is The Cult of Smart, How Our Broken Education System Perpetuates Social Injustice by Frederick Dobuer. Okay, guys, I will be back in about two weeks with uh, another uh, podcast. I don't know what I'm going to be reading. I'm sure I'll figure something out for you guys. Uh, In the meantime, with whatever platform you're listening to me on, whether it's Podbean, Stitcher, Apple, Amazon, uh, if you'd be so kind as to give me a nice review, I'd I'd really appreciate it. Um, Every once in a while, I'll I'll get like a... I'll get a message or I'll get a comment just, you know, thanking me for encouraging them to, uh, you know, read another book or or maybe previewing a book that they were thinking about reading. And it's just very validating for me. And it, it helps me to to continue doing this and, you know, knowing that I'm reaching people and not just talking to my wall, which is what it does feel like sometimes. OK, um, well, if I don't talk to you then, uh, that's why I tell my students, if I don't talk to you then. <laughs> Uh, Take care and happy reading.